Good morning, Rock Bible Church. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you, Megan and Katie, for helping out. Very fun to start the Christmas season. I know that Costco started like over a month ago, but to be officially in the season is uh, it's exciting. And it's a great opportunity for us to teach our kids, set an example for the community, but mostly just for ourselves, right? We say, welcome Rock Bible Church. We say Christ first, centered, biblically based. And compelling is one of the words we use. And we say compelling ourselves and others. I think uh, it's good and important for us to remember around Christmas that our first thing is to compel ourselves to him and recognize uh, what he did and uh, why we worship all the other weeks of the year and uh, the value that Easter brings and whatnot. So uh, I trust that you will have some fun with the Christmas season. Maybe take uh, some time with your family to do a reading on your own, not on video, not for the church. Just do something with your family. That's uh, honoring God. And uh, we're going to look at that this morning because Timothy is finishing his letter uh, or Paul is finishing his letter to Timothy. We're, we're doing chapter six. It's the last chapter of this uh, book or, or letter. And uh, I'll just say I, I'm very excited for us to, to finish this book, but I'm also excited for us to get into Christmas. Uh, and it's a great time. It's a great time. Uh, Paul is going to remind us that uh, we have an eternal faith. Uh, but at the same time, he's going to remind us that faith starts right now that what we do right now matters. And yes, uh, God wins the war, and yes, Christ solved everything on the cross, and we have eternity in heaven, uh, but that can start right now. Uh, and I, I just want to say, I mean, in little ways, we can show that. We can exemplify that. Uh, our stage is doing it right now. I don't know if we can get a, a wider view, but I mean, uh, this gives testimony to the fact that we can start celebrating now. Right, I want to thank uh, the Austins for their decoration and whatnot, and you know, outdoor too. We we've got uh, the property starting to look pretty good, actually. You know, thanks to Gretchen and and Tony and all their hard work and the volunteers that they've pulled in and Fernando. Um, you know, there's lots of little ways uh, how you address people, how you respond to people, um, what you expect from your kids. There's so many ways that we can exemplify Christ and show that we put our hope in Him. So uh, may we be reminded that on this first day of Advent, when we focus on hope. Uh, if you would, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into our passage uh, and talk about eternal faith and wandering. Lord, thank you for this morning. And Lord, we love decorations, we love gifts, fun, excitement. But I pray, Lord, that we remember the purpose of all of those things. That you, your son, your spirit, you set the system in place. You make it all work. If it's going to make sense, it's because of you. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn more as to how we view the present, the past, and the future that we would look at it in light of you, that we would see our identity in Christ, your son. And then, Lord, 
help us to do it in ways that set an example for others, that others get to see, that draw them into faith, uh, that they might be a part of what you call your kingdom. And Lord, I, I, I'm just reminded of what your son taught us to pray. He said, your kingdom come. We know, Lord, that Christmas is, is one piece of that. And so hope, help us to do it well. Help us to show our hope. We thank you for this passage, Lord, for this letter, for these two men trying to pursue faith in you uh, in ways that was above and beyond what they were seeing from anybody else. They were blazing a trail. And I pray, Lord, that we would get on that trail as well. And we'd find ways to walk the path that leads to you. And so as we head into the Christmas season, Lord, as we head into the end of this book, this chapter, pray, Lord, that you would stir in us what you want us to know, what you want us to live out. And we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, uh, here we go. Uh, it's going to be about eternal faith and wandering. You're going to see all these words in the passage as we get going. Um, but Paul has been uh, doing a lot of specifics. Uh, instead of talking about uh, the generalities of faith, he's been talking about men and women and leaders, and he's going to continue talking about different types of specific people, bond servants and masters and servants and those kind of things. And I want you to see w- what he's kind of doing in the overall book, the overall letter of what he's trying to get across to Timothy. There's bigger concepts here that apply to everyone. Now, they play out in specific ways to specific people. Um, we, we, we have to recognize that we're all different, and we enjoy those differences. We celebrate those differences. But it also means we have different responsibilities, uh, different expectations God would have of us. And The great part about this letter to Timothy is this idea that uh, God wants us to see the value of himself and the value of other people. It's like when they came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And another is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Paul has given Timothy some practical tools for how you live that out, how you walk that out each day on the street. And so that's what we're looking at here. And here he's going to get into the bondservant piece. Let's get, go ahead and get started. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. And he says, uh, those of you who have signed on bondservants, you've signed a bond or you've somehow got yourself into a, kind of a slavery position, sometimes by choice, sometimes by debt, you notice he doesn't talk about how you found yourself in that position. He talks not at all about the past. He talks about how do you carry yourself, how do you do what you do based on now? What can you do moving forward? And uh, he says, honor. Honor is one of the things you can do. You can do honor Now, no matter where you came from, who you were, uh, who you are now, or what your situation is. And it's kind of interesting because uh, this is different than culture, isn't it? You know, one of our favorite things to do as humans is to gripe and complain about the boss. Write a letter of 
a complaint. I want to speak to a manager. I'm going to send them an email. I'm, you know what? I had a bad experience. I'm going to give them one star. We're going to post this, do whatever, and it's this negative thing. Uh, I wonder what it would look like if we committed as Christians to talk about what we're for rather than what we're against. This idea of, hey, you can, you can complain all you want. You can point out the negative side, the, the shady things that you see in the world and how they should be different. And you can reason that out in ways that make total sense. And yet you're being difficult, divisive. Uh, you know, when you complain, you might be right about what you're talking about. But no matter what, it still makes you a complainer. And I'll, I'll never forget uh, living in Little Rock, Arkansas, working at a church in a student ministry that was many times bigger than our church, as it is right now, with just students. And a new movie came out, and it was controversial. It was anti-Christian in some ways. They thought thematically, whatever. And the local news came with a camera and a reporter, and they wanted an interview with a pastor. And they wanted a Stir it up. Hey, what does the church think about this movie? It's so controversial. Blah, blah, blah. And I remember <laughs> somehow it fell to me. We got this huge church, all these pastors, but, but guess who ends up in my office? Here's the camera. This lady, they're asking me all these questions. And they were, they were all questions that were meant to be divisive, meant to draw up a story so that they have something that they could put on the screen that people would listen to. And, and draw up attention. And I remember every question they asked, I said, well, I don't, I, think, I don't think we're concerned about that. And finally got to the point where I just said, well, you know, as Christians, really, we want to talk about what we're for more than we talk about what we're against. And I, I remember being stressed the whole time because, you know, down there, perception is everything. You got the, all the Southern stereotypes and the whole thing. And it's the Bible Belt, and this is going to be on evening news, and everybody's going to see it. And I may be being very stressed about this. And, and I went home that night. I was talking to Julie, and, and you know, we get our dinner. We're sitting down on the television, and here, here it comes. Here's the story. It was about six seconds long. They showed a quick, quick clip of my face and one little sentence, and the story was over, and they moved on. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, it was so anticlimactic. I had my moment in the sun, and it pretty much didn't exist. And I remember thinking of that for a little while. It's like, man, did I mess up that interview? Did I? What did I do? I finally realized I gave them nothing to talk about. We said, look, we're, we're for Christ crucified, and we're a church, and we want to celebrate and worship, and we're not concerned about a movie. Movie's just entertainment, and we're okay with that, and really want to talk about what we're for rather than what we're against. And that was just probably too boring. And probably some director back at the news station said, eh, there's nothing worth listening to. They're going to be unhappy, you know, bait and switch. Hey, here's this big story. And then this guy was not that exciting. Because that's what culture wants. Culture wants to be difficult in the midst of whatever they want, whatever they feel, whatever they think. Uh, their own desires. And Paul's going to get into this idea of desires and pursuits, what you want. And know what he's going to say? He's going to say, this is how you wander. He's say, it's easy to wander. As James says in his book, 
that we, we go astray when we pursue our own desires. And those desires, they give birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. So this is the natural way of how humans are. And uh, I think you know it, because uh, all you got to do is turn on the TV, turn on the news. You hear happy stories? No, hear negative stories. Paul says, don't do that. Even if you're in a position where you, a position or a situation where you have to follow a master, do it with honor. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. That's so funny because most of the time when I get people in my office or meet me for coffee and they're complaining, they're upset, you know where they're worried about being reviled? Themselves. I've been reviled. I know most of us don't even know what reviled means. We don't use that word anymore. We're so concerned about ourselves. How concerned are we about the teaching? Not just any teaching, but what God is teaching, what's important to him, what he's put in his word. You know, this book is, it's thick. Look at that. That's a lot of information there. You know, we're never going to get through all of that and get that solved to where we can then worry about ourselves. No, how about we worry about the teaching of God so that it is not reviled because there's actually something to that. That plays out, that works, that wins. Verse two, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Wow, he just takes the relationship and kind of turns it on its head. He says, yeah, I know you've got a master and you're, you're, you have to be a servant to that master, but guess what? How about whether your believers is more important than that? Or really what he's saying, how about belief is more important than position? How about faith is more important than condition? Uh, that's a fill-in. That's a write-down. Because most of the time, we're worried about our position or our condition rather than what we believe in or what we have faith in. You know, it's, a, it's a great question, and, and it was posed to me in seminary, and I think it's a great um, marker for how we measure ourselves. The question of, uh, don't tell me what you do. Tell me who you are because they're drastically different. What do you stand for? Don't tell me about your condition. Tell me what you stand for. Because what you stand for doesn't change no matter what condition or position you're in. That's brilliant. I think it gets to the heart of what Paul's getting at here and what God wants for us. You know, are we believers and are we brothers? Uh, Sisters too, by the way, right? We're not gender specific on this. Uh, Verse three, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, if you're not following scripture, if you're not biblically based, okay, see, we stole the name. Welcome Rock Bible. We steal our names. Uh, Then you're you're, you're out of line. You're missing the point. Uh, Most likely it's selfish-driven, self-centered, and you're missing out on godliness. See that? Teaching that accords with godliness, accords with, brings alongside, brings together, ties together. It's not just teaching, but it brings about godliness in your life. When you follow it, when you believe it, when you investigate it, when even, how about more importantly, when it's still a mystery to you, when you're still figuring out how it works, 
you say, I'm going to do it anyways. I'll let it make sense later. Uh, that's brilliant, and Paul's going to talk about that at the end of the chapter. So we'll, let's move on. We'll get to that. Uh, so anybody who doesn't do this, who, who goes against, right? Verse 4, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. We got all these relationships that he's talking about. He's talking about honor and whether uh, something's been defiled. And he says, but let's talk about what you understand. You either understand God or you understand nothing. That's, that's uncomfortable for me. That almost feels like there's no middle ground. Uh, there's, there's the pursuit of God and, and closer. Here, let me get my hands under God's word. There's, there's this stuff right here, right? Oh, wait, like, like that? Okay, yeah. There's this stuff, and then there's everything else over here. There's no middle ground. That's fascinating. Puffed up with conceit. Which, uh, we used to call that the big head, right? When I was in high school, as somebody that was conceited or arrogant, you say, oh, they got a big head, right? It's this puffed up idea. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words. Have you ever been with somebody who starts mincing words with you? Complain about a word you used? No, that doesn't happen in our culture today where we're canceling words and changing the meaning of them and the whole thing. Uh, it, it, that's an unhealthy craving. It's a manipulation tactic. And what that means is the value of the other person has gone out the window. You're not loving your neighbor. You've thrown out understanding and you're just pursuing self you're over here, not, not biblically. You're just out of the way. Quarrels about words, which produce envy. I don't like my position or condition. We just talked about that. That's what envy comes from. Dissension, I'm going to cause trouble now because I don't like my position or condition or my comparison to someone else's. So I'm going to cause a fight. Slander, I'm going to talk about other people. Oh, that doesn't happen in this culture. Wink, wink, tongue-in-cheek. Evil suspicions. Who are you suspicious of? Stop it. Suspicions? What does it call suspicions right before? What's the word right before suspicions? Evil. <laughs> well, what if I have suspicions about God? They're not suspicions. Their expectations, their hope, which this is the Sunday of hope, Advent, right? It's faith in what is not seen, right? The Hebrews talks, calls faith. Evil suspicions and constant friction among people. How about we just stop there? We don't even, who are, no, 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 we'll just, how about that? You know, when you're outside of God's word, when you're outside of God's word, you're creating con uh, friction for people. And constant, that is a rough word. Uh, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Ooh, Paul's getting fun. Depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Depraved in the mind, that means something's wrong with the mind. That means you can't think clearly. That your, your facts are mixed up, and then how you, how you put facts together uh, doesn't work. There's an ill, you have a brain virus. 
in your logic, in your thinking, and then deprived of the truth. It's not just that you can't think well. You don't even have the building blocks to think about. That's called truth. To put together something that's logical, that makes sense long-term or eternal. It's this idea that you, you, when, when you're not following God, when you're doing all these divisive kind of things that he just listed off, you are causing trouble. And here's the thing. We always think that it's going to force somebody to behave better. We're going to make rules for them. We're going to control an environment. We're going to sway. That's what human culture tries to do. It's very interesting to me what's said at the very end of the passage. God's going to make the claim there is no sway. There is no wander. There is no swerve as to what's going to happen in the end. Who wins, why they win, how they win, and who goes with them. It's set, it's determined, that's it. And the more we try to manipulate things, the more we're just getting off the path. We could be closer to the word, and we're just getting off the path. It's scary, and it's dangerous. Uh, Depraved of mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And there it is. We're always, we're trying to do Things that gain. I want more. I need money. I want attention, status, position, influence, freedom. You know, uh, godliness was never meant to be a means to an end. Godliness was meant to be the end and the means. But godliness, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse six, very interesting. He says, no, you know, gain, that's not, your, that's not your goal. And then the very next sentence, what does he say is, oh, gain's great. But what changes? There's this big word in there, contentment. You know, when you're content, you can't do all the things that were previously listed. That list of all those negative things You can't do any of those things if you're truly content. I think about that. That's fascinating. Are you content with the condition of other people? Are you content with what God's word says and how it plays out, whether you understand it or not? How patient are you? You see, patience is a sign of contentment. I can wait for what God's going to do. I can wait for what I think I want. I can test my desires and see if some of them fade because they're not lasting or eternal. Great idea that godliness with contentment is great gain. That is so foreign a concept for our culture that most of us probably have trouble even understanding what that means. Or for some people it takes decades. To follow God and be happy with wherever that leads Reality is the Bible says most people can't do it. The road is wide that leads to destruction, and many are those that find it. Right? A very um, smart person said that. I believe his name was Jesus. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You heard that before? Can't take anything with you. Did you know that that was stolen from Scripture, that phrase? Right? Uh, by the way, watch, Paul's going um, to change this a little bit. 
right? We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be, what's our word? Content, right? Contentment with godliness is great gain. Here it is a second time, content. What's he implying? You can't take anything with you to the grave, but you can go to the grave with contentment. Man, I hope that's a nugget for you today. That's something you can take to the grave with you, your own contentment. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Why? Because money's become more important than God. Money's become more important than people, more important than relationships, more important than responsibility, character, ethics. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? Because you have to uh, continue to provide things to keep your pursuit of money going till finally you're off the page. It leads to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Verse 10, it is through this craving that some have wandered. There's our word. Eternal faith and wandering. It's our pursuit of these desires, and it's not just money. This is just one of the examples that Paul's using in this situation. So we're not going to go out and like badmouth rich people because they're you're as worse as bad as they are, right? They're no worse. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's wandered again, by the way. Pierced themselves with many, what, pierced? Pierced with pangs. That doesn't sound good. How do you get to that? You pursue evil? Oh, well, Scott, I don't, I don't pursue evil. I'm not, I'm not into evil. No, 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 no. I know there's God and then there's evil and I know the devil exists, but I, I'm not doing that. Now, have you figured this out? That the devil's number one ploy was not to be worshipped himself, but for us to worship ourselves. That's very different. Uh, by the way, there's a great book out that's, that's just come out by Dr. Larry Vold. He was the lead pastor at uh, uh, was Neighborhood Church, Castor Valley, and now is Three Crosses at Castor Valley. Uh, it's called The Good Fight, and it's about spiritual warfare and whatnot. And he talks about Satan and demons and how they function, the whole thing. Uh, not being a pastor who spent much time studying these things, I found it a very fascinating book and absolutely biblically based, and I actually know Larry, um, and it would be a great thing if you're interested in more on that. Uh, verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, doing the right thing. Godliness, being more like God and thinking like he does. Faith, that is trusting in yourself? No, Faith in God, that something in the future will go the way God wants it to go rather than the way you want it to go, right? Love, that's the caring of others more than yourself or God more than yourself. Steadfastness, that you stick to it. I know I have friends who've used this word. I think it's kind of funny. Stick to itedness, right? Uh, gentleness that you're user-friendly and easy to be around during the whole process. On the rest of the things on the list, as you're trying to do those things, are you user-friendly? Do people like you? When you walk into the room, do they let out a sigh of relief 
or a sigh of, oh no. Like, oh, Scott's here. Oh, good. Or, oh, Scott's here. Very big difference. It's a sign of what, how gentle you are. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. Fight the good fight of the faith. Wait, can we go back just a second? What, what, what was that? Fight the good fight of the faith. Faith is a fight? I thought faith was just a belief. All I need to do is just believe in Jesus and accept him on the cross. Yeah, that's just the beginning. Then it turns into a fight because all of culture will go against you. Uh, this is not meant for it to be easy. Consider it all joy, James says, when you can encounter various trials. Why? When? He just said when, not if you encounter trials. When you encounter trials. What's that mean? Trials are coming. This is a fight. It's difficult. All right, let's keep going. Uh, James, Katie, thanks much. Uh, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold. When is that? That's a verb, right? It's a verb in what tense? Oh no, Scott's going to English again. Take. Now he took, that would be past tense. You should take, that'd be, or will take, that would be future. Take, that's an imperative. I know that's a fancy word. We would normally say command. Take is a command. In what tense? Past, future, or it's present, isn't it? Take hold, when? Now is the implication of the eternal life. Uh, eternal speaks to what? The past? No. And it doesn't talk about now either. Eternal talks about the, the long, distant, never-ending future. I said at the beginning, as we were starting, eternal life starts now. Why? Because Paul says, take hold of it when? Now. Present tense. Present tense, we can begin the process of enjoying, experiencing, pursuing, believing in, and having faith in eternal life where we're headed, where he's headed. And then he says, make a confession, presence of many witnesses. You've done that in the past. He's saying, continue to do that. That speaks to steadfastness that was listed earlier. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, is, uh, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unrestrained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Love that. He says, in the name of God, in the name of his son, he's implying in the name of his spirit, hold on to these teachings, hold on to these commandments, follow these things. And, and how long does he say? As long as it takes until he returns, until he appears. As he said he would, in fact, we can take him at his word. He knows how to do a confession in the worst moment of his life. Before Pontius Pilate, he did the confession right. And guess what? We can bank on that. And by the way, who's he represent? The only sovereign. And maybe it's my own pet peeve, but I hope that uh, most Christians, especially if they come in contact with me, will, will understand that concept, the concept of sovereign. We use it in cheap ways in human culture. A sovereign nation, and the only... Nah. 
sovereign has a, a godly definition that we could never reach. If God is the only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that changes everything. And, and it most of all, needs to change how you think and how you feel. Who alone has immortality, that speaks to eternal, right? Who dwells in unapproachable light, ooh, does that mean we can't get close to him? Not if he doesn't want you to. You can't even approach his light. <laughs> That's not good. If you want to get close to God, how, what? How do we get close to him? He protects us from his unapproachableness. He can protect us in the midst of unapproachable light because he wants to. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen? How about an amen there, huh? How about uh, to him be honor and eternal dominion Amen. 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. What did he just call riches? Uncertain. They're temporal. They are a false god, a false idol. They cannot fulfill, and they can't come through. But where do we set our hope? On God. Set their hopes, not on those things, but on God, who richly provides with everything to enjoy. Why does God provide for us? He wants, to enjoy, he wants us to enjoy. But why are we so upset? Why are we causing dissension? Why are we complaining? Why do we do those things? Because we wander with our desires. We wander away from. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know that, that truly life is God's agenda for us? You know what it also implies then? That it's possible? That you can experience true life is he talking about later, in eternity, in heaven? No, he's talking about right now. Take hold of it right now. How could you experience true life? Pursue God, not money. Pursue God, not advantage. Pursue God, not status. God, not power. And the question becomes, where, where do you put your hope? Where do you put your faith? Is it in eternal things? You know, the first five chapters were meant to help us define what does life, faith on this planet look like the last chapter is meant to make sure we understand who we're putting that faith in oh timothy boy paul's getting serious now isn't he oh timothy you know he almost never mentions people by name once he started his his letter but now we get to the very end he says oh timothy guard the deposit entrusted to you now that's kind of funny He's been talking about riches, and he says, guard the deposit. A little pun there. Did you know he was a comedian? Uh, avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called 
knowledge. What is he saying? What you know is not the most important thing. And when what you know or what you think you know starts to trump other things, that's where you're going to get yourself in trouble. And we've seen it in many ways, in, me, in many disciplines, in many avenues or arenas in our culture. We, we find out a few things or we think a few things and we run with those things and we try to pursue them as knowledge or truth and it's empty. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And there's our wonder. That knowledge can get you actually in trouble. For many people that think knowledge is the solution. Hey, we're going to follow the science. Okay. But let that be one piece of the equation, not the whole equation. And if we're going to do some science, how about we do all the science? Where's, what, what's going on socially? What's going on spiritually? There are many things that play into every situation. What's the biggest one? The biggest one that plays into every scenario is God. Hands down. How do we know? He said, the only sovereign. Control of all things. And then he signs off. Grace be with you. Shouldn't his faith be with you? Knowledge be with you? Blessing, prosperity, provision? No. What's he say? Grace. May the only sovereign be gracious to you. Why? Because that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that's going to change anything. Amen? Now may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's, let's take a few things out of this. It was very, very hard for me to just pick three things. Uh, and and you know, hopefully you saw that as we went through. And this is a great book for us to go back and read through on your own to take out more. Um, but let's attempt a few at least. The first one is this. Verses 6 and 17 talk about this idea that godliness with contentment is great gain. And verse 17 says, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You know, he's pointing out several different times. He mentions contentment at least twice. He says basically the idea that contentment and joy keep us from wandering. You know, I, I think that uh, in, in Christendom, in our faith, in our pursuit of Christ, many of us, we buy the idea of eternal we buy that, the heaven, we, we buy Christ on the cross, we buy his death for us, we buy his solution for sin, uh, his grace, we, we buy all that. The struggle we have is, man, Scott, I wander. I can wander like that. I can wander in a moment, just in my head. My heart sometimes, I harbor things that just push me the wrong direction. How do I battle? In fact, Paul says that. He's at war with his flesh. You know how you fight that war, right? Because it said, faith is a fight. Fight the good fight. How do you fight that wandering? How do you keep yourself from swerving? Paul says it's, it's simple. Keep your mind set on contentment and joy. What are you enjoying 
that God has already given you. Not what you're getting for Christmas. How about what you already have? I, I, and maybe I'm just becoming that old guy or that dad. Shout out to all the dads out there. But I get to Christmas anymore. It's been about 10 years I've been having this, I don't know, addiction of, I get to Christmas and think to myself, I don't really want anything. As far as a gift that I can open with a bow on it and all that stuff, you know what I want to do? I want to sit in my house with the four other members of my family and wear ugly pajamas, eat stuff that's high in sugar, fat, and salt. I want to be warm, the fireplace. I just, I want to be around the stuff I already have. I want to enjoy what God has already given me. You know, the battle is, is we got eyes. We got minds. We can see other things, and then we think, oh, I got to go get that. Or, what's that smell? I need to eat that. What is that? Get me more of those. Right? But training ourselves to enjoy what we have is how we learn contentment. Being content where you are to where position and condition are just a side commentary. How about, how about position and condition just be the setting that your poster is in? Right? You know sports? We're, we're a sports church, aren't we? I hope we are. Sports athletes, they have posters, right? They're catching a ball in the end zone or they're dunking on somebody or they're celebrating after scoring. How about your position and condition are just what's in the background of your poster? But what's highlighted in your poster is the joy, the celebration of what's already happened, of what's been done. We could learn from athletes. You know, after they win the championship, you ever heard a single one of them talk about next year? Well, you know, we won this year, but gosh, I'm so worried about next year. No, what are they doing? They're enjoying the contentment of the championship they just won. How about we live every day like that, right? You can look at verses 11 and 12 on your own for follow-up on that, but number two, the altar of knowledge is a false idol. The altar of knowledge is a false idol. Folks, I think we're seeing this more and more in our culture than ever before. They were fighting it back in those days when philosophers and Greek thought and Romans, they were all pushing, oh, logic, age of awareness. What Paul said, what he warned us against is, ah, you know, like it's said elsewhere in Scripture, even the wisest thoughts of man are but foolishness to God. And be careful trying to figure out what you think you can know or solve that could make sense so that you have better understanding and then you can make more decisions. No, don't change the angle. I'm trying to work my way off the screen. Come on, give me that screen back. Yeah, I'm, I'm making a visual here, right? They got the scripture and the more you pursue knowledge and information, uh, guess what that does? It takes you out of the picture. You're off the page. The more we pursue scripture, and faith, you know, faith is not about knowledge. 
belief is not about law. You get a little bit of information, just enough to make a decision. And then faith is the belief in things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. It is by definition the antithesis of knowledge. And we think you have all the answers about a political party, about the direction for your family, about what your company should do, about a virus, about science, about art, about whatever it is. That's when you get yourself in trouble because you've just become God. And there's only one person who is all-knowing. We call it omniscient. There's only one, the only sovereign, right? The altar of knowledge is a false idol causing you to swerve. If you're going to make decisions based on what you know, know that there is always more information out there. And relationally, this is massive. You never know what other people are going through. (laughs) Folks, I feel like the poster child for this. Some of you have no idea what other people are going through. My dad's in a hospital in Washington recovering from quadruple bypass surgery. That's in the back of my head right now all the time. I'm dealing with people who are contemplating suicide and divorce and addiction and all kinds of stuff. You never know what's going on behind the scenes. There is always more information. So knowledge actually could be your enemy. It could get you in a lot of trouble. Because the moment you think you know, you're putting yourself in a position where you cause dissension and and depravity and, and it leads to ruin and destruction is what it says in the scripture. Lastly is this, lastly is this. Paul closes off, he says, honor and eternal dominion. Doesn't he? Honor and eternal dominion. And I know there's a bunch of stuff in the passage we could focus on. But as he's signing off, I I just got stuck on this. He says, honor. Honor is when? Later? No, honor is now. And then he says eternal. He doesn't say eternal relationship, eternal faith. He He says eternal and dominion. That is absolutely control. He says, honor right now, who? God and his people, which by the way, how many of them are his creation? All of them, right? Honor God and people, period. And by the way, it's all mine, he says. Not just now, but forever and ever, I'm gonna win, it is my dominion. In fact, other places in in scripture it says, and I think this is kind of funny, it says king of king and lord of lords. You know, other places in, in scripture it says there is no other king, actually. Other kings don't actually exist. Other lords don't actually exist. They're temporarily put in power by the one king, the one lord, the only sovereign. And what if we made decisions like that? What if we thought like that? Instead of our, our, our knowledge or our feelings or our emotions or just our experience or our fears, fears is a big one because most of us function on fear. What if we focused on hope and eternal faith in the only one sovereign because it is his eternal dominion. And what if we said, I want to honor that. Today, how I talk to people, how I make decisions, what I think about, what I feel, I'm going to honor him. 
It would change the way we look at everything. The church, our spouse, a virus, a government, a paycheck, a lack of paycheck. When we start thinking in terms of who actually provides all things for us to enjoy. That's interesting. Because it kind of implies that we could enjoy now despite our position or condition. And I, I was sitting this morning, I was enjoying the worship and um, uh, Bryce, amazing, thank you. And, and there was a first this morning, I don't know if you have caught this, I'm, I'm a nerd, I pay attention to these things. I think this is the first, it might be the first Sunday ever in the history of our church where we had back-to-back weeks where sisters led worship. This Sunday, we had, just a few minutes ago, we had Katie Mackin, and then last Sunday, we had Emily Mackin, sisters, right? And, we, and we're singing. Why? What does that mean? We're honoring now this eternal dominion. But there was a song we sang, and it was, it was interesting to me. I long to hear your voice. Really? Call me a jerk, but that's not what I see. What I see in our world, what I see in our culture, I long for a bigger paycheck. I long for more money. I long for better permission. I don't want anybody to control me. I want this. I want that. I got all these desires that I pursue. I want to be smarter than everybody. I want to make the decisions. The song says, I long to hear your voice. And then we sang, come to me, all ye weary souls. Wow. What is God saying? That's like if we call that legit, right? And if God's actually saying that, you know what he's not saying? Come to knowledge. Come to success. Come to wealth. Come to emotional security where you feel safe. Come to head knowledge. No. He says, come to me. And in that will be great mystery, lack of answers, and the challenge will be contentment and joy because you will be weary. But why are we weary? Because we wander and we swerve. And now I want to ask you, which one of those? Right? I long to hear your voice, or come to me, all you weary souls. Which one's first? Right? Do we have to come to him first, and then we hear his voice? Or should we hear his voice, and then we come to him? Or how about the question is wrong, Scott, because the question implies that knowledge or an answer to the question is most important. That's why I love the answer both for most of the questions in the Bible because it throws out knowledge. And it says, try to experience both, try to do both, and maybe you'll understand it sometime later. It's great. It's a great answer for so many things. Today, it's a great answer. Should you come to church or should you stay home and watch on video? Both. Works for some people. 
doesn't work for others? Not my job to figure that out. My job to provide both. Not my job to understand it or pick one. Is everything predestined and controlled by the only sovereign or do we have choice? How about both? Well, how's that work together? I don't know. How about I don't care how that makes sense, but that they're compatible. was, Was Jesus God or was he fully man? How about both? Well, that doesn't make sense. Yes, and making sense is no longer my priority. Being close to and coming to the one who does make sense, that is the mystery that I choose to enjoy in being content with in the absence of answers. Because I want my eternal faith to start now. Amen? Uh, As we close, what are you doubting? What is your fear? What relationship have you taken priority in? Not you, you've prioritized the relationship. You've prioritized yourself in relation to the other person. Where now you're the center and they're kind of just on the periphery. And how can you solve that to make it healthy again? What information are you banking on? And God's waiting for you to hear his voice rather than bank on your answers. How could you honor him, the only sovereign, now, in spite of your condition and your position? Great questions that I don't have the answers for you. But I have trust that God will help you figure out the answer between him and you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for this book. Thank you for Paul, for what Timothy was learning. Lord, that we might learn it as well. We thank you, Lord, that it is so complex and yet so simple at the same time. We thank you for the opportunity to live and learn, to be content as we do and enjoy what we actually have. I pray, Lord, uh, as your son prayed, not just your kingdom come, Lord, but you also said, deliver us from evil. Lord, from this passage, we know that wandering and swerving is how we are delivered uh, into evil. I pray, pray, Lord, you protect us from our own desires, our own wants, our own pursuits that Promote us missing it. Help us with that. Help us with the relationships we need to work on. Help us with the positions and conditions that we're in to make the most of it. Set the example. Give a testimony. Especially, Lord, as we go into this great season. Represents you and your son. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Continue to help us uh, maneuver these trying times. Show us opportunities and help us to be smart and wise in the decisions that we make. Pray, Lord, that we use this offering to aid in that. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.